conceive of such a legacy of calling forth and lifting every voice in our recognition, our annual effort to revisit, to reconnect, to understand more fully the legacy and the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in this moment, we're doing so with stories of both those who have gone before and are only with us in spirit, and those who are still with us, what we might receive and how we might continue and carry on. It struck me uh, this season in the story of Ruby Bridges and her effort to simply be a child in Louisiana in the 1960s, how much how much she was going to school every day in that first year, every day encountering that gauntlet of hate, every day enduring so much ugly and awful simply because of what people thought of how people should and shouldn't be and behave based on their looks, based on deep and long-lasting and embedded assumptions. And she did this. Her parents chose to commit to this for the sake of a better education, to lift herself up personally as well as the community. It just strikes me, coming to the story again, of how many concentric circles of love were interacting to make Ruby Bridges' story possible, both of feeling both of sentiment and affection and care, as well as action. There was her parents, that circle, her family, her community, those who were committed and on board with helping and supporting them. There was Ruby, certainly herself, being willing to be in that moment, offering that prayer on a daily basis, that prayer that the hate would go away and that love would appear. There were those who were further committed to desegregation, the larger circles in our society, her teachers, her counselor, the people who donated funds to the family, um, who donated clothes for Ruby that she could look her best and feel as well and as best as she could every day. There was the dedication of the law enforcement escorting her, regardless of their individual personal beliefs, but they were upholding their commitment and their oaths. So many circles of love in action, of commitment. In this weekend, when it is our practice to remember the great dream and dedication of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., I see and take up the so circles of influence that keep overlapping, the ones that were around him as well, the ones that were with him, from him, and the ones that keep going outward and along and keep intersecting one and another. You know, Ruby Bridges and all of her circles you know, those led up to a year of being a solitary child in school, being taught by herself. 
I think our recent experience of parenting and educating during a pandemic gives a tiny bit of insight into the impact of a year in a child's life and how much that makes a difference. The emotional strain, the physical toil. It is a testament to the strength of her circle and the love modeled by her family directly installed into her every day, multiple times a day. It is sobering as well that these events occurred within a lifetime. For Ruby Bridges, the child is now an adult, and she had a career and a family, and she made the transition into being a speaker and a presence for justice. And at the age of 67, she continues to be an advocate. This desegregation journey of this child at six years old is well within a lifetime. Dr. King reminded us again and again how much we were deeply interconnected, that inescapable network of mutuality, and how much within that understanding he could call us forth into our better selves, call us to being a more nonviolent, more inclusive society, to called, called to putting love into action. It is the work of a lifetime. It has been the work of lives uncounted leading up to the last century and into this moment. And in that spirit, I want to add one more life to the count today. So today, I want to talk about someone who was actually an age peer of Ruby Bridges, in fact, and that is Bell Hooks. Now, Bell Hooks, as I said, she's the um, is the pen name and the public name of Gloria Jean Watkins. Uh, Belle was born in a small town in Kentucky near the Tennessee border in 1951. She was just a few years younger than Ruby Bridges. And Belle Hooks experienced the segregation of school systems. She had a community that had a very strong black section of town. So within her community, she had a lot of love and support. But she lived in a very, deep, in a very segregated experience overall. But she was able, with a powerful and loving black family and community, was able to gain her education she graduated from Stanford and then went on to a number of academic positions uh, at a number of notable colleges. And finally, her, she returned for kind of the last phase of her working career, she returned home to Kentucky and became a teacher on faculty at Berea College in 2004. And last fall, Berea College opened the Bell Hooks Center in an effort to continue to study her work uh, and as well as for its, her larger message that art is resistance, that speaking up is resistance, that love in action is resistance. As they talk about the Bell Hooks Center, it's an inclusive space 
where historically underrepresented students can come and be as they are, outside of the social scripts that circumscribe our lives. They offer programs that affirm the students' sense of belonging and self on campus and in the world. And it's all motivated. The Bell Hook Center is in, by itself uh, motivated and in keeping with the school's motto as well by Bell Hook's insights such as the patriarchy has no gender and therefore feminism is for everybody. Patriarchy has no gender and feminism is for everybody. She was deeply concerned with how the impact of bias based on race or gender or class, or all the factors, how that impacts every single one of us. But her presence in life, unfortunately, was as finite as any other pure person. And in December, she died after a long illness. Many people knew her work. Many people have pointed to her efforts and feminist writings, especially earlier in her career, as, in, as having a major influence in thinking about how different oppressions relate to one another. But many more are also discovering her after her death. And her style, there's a quietness to her presence and a sweetness to her voice. And she also was able to say hard things. She was known for her efforts around race and class and gender. The Times starts, talks about how her work started in 1981 with her book, Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism, and what she talked about. Her idea of oppression can be encapsulated in this. The devaluation of black womanhood occurred as a result of the sexual exploitation of black women during slavery that is not altered in the course of hundreds of years. I'll say again. The devaluation of black womanhood occurred as a result of the sexual exploitation of black women during slavery. That has not altered in the course of hundreds of years. She was taking on directly all that all of the, uh, the abuse and the oppression and the harm done to women, done to black women for the entirety of slavery in this country. And that it has not stopped, that it has not gone away. And if we're not honest about that, we can't begin to address it. This idea of the interconnection between race and sex and gender and exploitation. It may not be news to us so much today, but, but that is in part because she has been speaking to this for so long. And so many people have heard her and taken up those words. Kimberly Crenshaw, who defined the term intersectionality, talked about her as being pivotal to an entire generation of black feminists 
who for the first time saw they had license to call themselves black feminists. That she was, that Bell Hooks was courageous for saying just that, that women can be black and feminist and put that together. Because womanhood cannot be reduced to a singular experience. It's always within the encompassing frame of race and class. And that Hooks called for a new form of feminism that recognized the differences and inequalities among women as a way of being, creating a more inclusive overall feminist movement. But she also, she also was not shy about claiming her Appalachian roots, her love of where she came from, her love of the working class and the impoverished classes of which she was connected. But personally, personally, uh, she kind of talked herself, talked about herself as a Buddhist Christian. So here's another word, places where those overlapping circles are connected. Because she was friends also with the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. And they both were able to talk about love. There's a conversation between them uh, where they're talking about love and they're also talking about love as received from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all of these overlapping circles of care and understanding represented just simply in that one conversation. Her solution, her solution to all of these struggles was, well, love, actually. Her definition of love uh, was one that was an act, the, the love as the verb, not simply as the noun. She would certainly agree with Dr. King that it's not a, um, love not being the, the mushy, the mushy sentiment. That's not the kind that she was talking about, certainly not what Dr. King was talking about. In her book, All About Love, from 2000, one of those first essays in that book talks about her definition. And she draws from the psychologist Eric Fromm and author M. Scott Peck. And her definition comes from them, which is, love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing another's or one's own spiritual growth. Love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing another's or one's own spiritual growth. Love is as love does, Peck tells us. Love is an act of will. It is namely both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. We do not have to love. We choose to love. And what we normally think about as expressions of love, um, affection and care and recognition and trust, all of those, Hooks tells us, are ingredients of love along with respect and open communication. But what she's presenting in this love as an action, love as a choice, is counter to our notion collectively of an instinctual love, of falling in love, of feeling, of kind of letting go and, and going with the emotion. 
because she'll offer that it's also that kind of falling in love is letting go of agency when act when love is an action and a decision it holds us to be to choose to love is holding us accountable and responsible for our lives this is part of her answer for that the answer is love that to how do we hold ourselves and each other accountable and responsible and to do so in a way that is generous and abundant with care for others' spiritual growth as well as our own. Her concern was that the learning these faulty definitions of love when we are younger sets us up for all kinds of difficulty along the way because there can be, we want to not accept abuse or violence or oppression in our lives. But in being, there's so often a conflict between harm in our relationships and loving and expressions that look like love. Harm and expressions that look like love. She makes the case that abuse cannot exist with love. She acknowledges that care and affection and delight can be present, but... You know, she looked at her family and realizes how, how much the dysfunction was present with them, how much she had been harmed also within the embrace of her immediate family. And she talks about her journey of figuring that out in a way of being willing to acknowledge the truth of that and have it be descriptive but not judgmental where she found the living expression of love, the kind that she's talking about, that true support of the other, she did find in grandparents and other people in her lives. And that experience of an active, chosen love enabled her to have the strength to survive all the hardship that she endured and to bring that sense of love into her life and into social critique. Because she accepts that standard. She was operating from that standard of understanding how we are responsible and accountable in our choices and our emotional care and what we say we're trying to accomplish with love. And we, she applied that standard to all these aspects of our society and was able to say this is where the oppression of women comes from. This is where, and this is how it harms all of us. All of us. I'll offer that it has me thinking, that she has me thinking about the nature of love in my own life. And have I been acting in love? I've known about this definition from Eric Fromm and Scott Peck for quite some time and to have it show up again and applied in such a way as looking at our larger systems all around us and invites personal reflection, the way that she was modeling this in her own life and trying to hold herself accountable and honest to the nature of the relationships 
and the experience of them for herself, I have to say, I'm going to spend some more time thinking about how am I actually acting out of love in all the ways, in all the places, in all my circles. Love is an extension of self for the sake of another's or your own spiritual growth. It is an active, chosen, active, chosen path again and again. And she goes on to offer how love shows up in our individual and global lives, in differences of opinion, in values, in perspectives. If we start from love, she says, we have to recognize we're going to encounter disagreement. We're going to have to examine our expectations of ourselves and others. Because if we're actually acting out of love, we know we're going to have conflict. We know we're going to be on different places and different opinions. But, but, she says, the moment, but it's also this choosing of love is liberating. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. We begin to say we are not going to accept anything less than loving treatment. The moment, she says, we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom and to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom, to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. Bell Hooks was inviting us into a sophistication of thought of practice and examination of love and its implication for how we regard others and how we regard ourselves. The hope that she would offer is that doing so frees us, frees our minds, our spirits, our imagination that we could in fact live into this dream that we keep hearing from Dr. King. For us in this time, how shall we continue to choose to love? She says, I believe wholeheartedly that the only way out of domination is love. And the only way to really connect with others and to know how to be is to participate when every aspect of your life is a sacrament of love. Every aspect of your life is a sacrament of love. So in that spirit, I invite you and myself and all of us that we might practice such a sacred act of love. Will you join me? I hope you will. Amen. <laughs>